All right, so hey everybody, welcome to episode 247 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Drew Freeman in sunny Ajax, Ontario. On the lake. Ajax on the lake, right, Ajax Ontario. On the I'm only lake. about half an hour away from you today. But yeah. hello. Is it actually sunny there today? It was, it was. It was actually really quite nice out. Yeah. It's, it's pouring here. It's pouring rain. Yeah, we had rain um, around 5 today, just after after I got, 5.30, I guess, after I got off the streetcar. The last bit of my trek was in the rain. It was nice, though, because it's warm, you know, for us. It wasn't really too cold. Yeah. So yeah. people out there who think in California it's always sunny and warm, you're wrong. Well, it's like the, well, the, it's the song, Bay Area. it never rains in California, it pours, right? Yeah, exactly. As the song said. Right? So does it, does it rain a lot in, in winter and spring and stuff? or Here? Yeah. Well, it, it depends on whether we're having a drought or not. So we had a few years there where the, we had a, a pretty bad drought where it pretty much never rained. And it was bad, you know, because all the, the lakes were low and the, and the mountain, you know, uh, ice pack was way down to nothing. So we had no runoff and we had water rationing and all that. But this year, all of a sudden, the drought's over and it's been pouring pretty steadily since like, <laughs> I don't know, November. <laughs> we had a few weeks of respite uh, last few weeks, but now it just started up again out of nowhere. So who knows? Well, this is the fabled April showers, I guess, or April May showers, I guess. Yeah, yeah but we we usually don't get that here. We, we usually get rain from like the end of December through early February in a non-drought year. Uh, right. and we get a lot of rain, but that's about it. You know, it, it, it's once once February is over, pretty much it's done. Maybe, maybe every once in a while, but not much. But this year, it's been just nuts. Yeah, it's the runoff from Canada's winter. Well, Maybe. people are complaining here that that our spring is unseasonably cold as well, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. It's all those uh, melting polar ice caps. All the water evaporated, and now it's raining on us. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we were talking last week about uh, this. Is a bit of a fact check from last week's episode, um, where I mentioned uh, the pictures of uh, Apple Park, the new Apple Park building. Um, that I found some images on my hard drive from like 2011, and I was curious as to were we talking about it back then? We weren't talking. We weren't podcasting back then. But was was this uh, an issue? And it turns out that on June seventh, 2011, that's when Steve Jobs presented to. Cooper Pertino City Council, his details of the new design. And that's where those images I got were from, the original, you know, I guess, uh, architectural renderings of what uh, what the Apple Park would look like. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember exactly when the construction started, but... Uh, 2016, sure. I think. Yeah. Oh, 2016. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it was much later than 2011. Yeah, because you and I were looking at it, and I was there in February of 2017, and they were just putting trees in and stuff, right? So, yeah, but they had been building the building for a while before then. Yeah, there were, if, you, if you look on the Wikipedia, Wikipedia pages, just pictures from, you know, of the concrete foundations going in and all that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, 2016 sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it opened the year and a half ago, I think, 27, just when they started moving to San Jose for the for, uh, WWDC, right? Well, and another another follow up is that the uh, mysterious uh, Rainbow Pavilion oh, right, yeah, that we talked yeah. about last week mm-hmm. is for the official grand opening of Apple Park, which is in a couple of weeks. Oh, the official grand opening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently hmm. so. All right. 
Cool. Good to know. All right. Um, so I got a, uh, an article here in follow-up, in this follow-up, because we always talk about app store pricing. And this is an interesting um, little short piece by uh, Becky Hensmeyer, uh, who you know says she wasn't reading blogs back then, but she found a piece from uh, Dan Barnard from 2008, which is when we were all first start talking about, about uh, apps. But an uh, interesting bit of advice here on if you have a non-subscription-based app um, priced under $5, uh, the suggestion is to double that and see what happens. If you know if 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 your app sales don't nosedive, then bump it up again, and you know because uh, I think the the race to the bottom, everybody thought they had to get down to like you know ninety nine cent apps and just live with that. And um, I mean, I know I've tried this with some of my apps, you know, the more successful ones. I doubled the price at one point, and and it didn't suffer, so I just left it there, kind of thing. Um, but just sort of interesting idea on um, you know basically finding that sweet spot for your uh, for your app. And I saw a talk yesterday by Mark Pavlidis um, at our Taco Group, which is our local meetup um, about subscriptions and and just you know just to give a bit of uh, a short story he sort of said the same sort of thing like when, when he was asked a question after the talk about how do you determine what your price is and he sort of said well you can you can set a price and then you know see how the sales go and then add it you know increase it a bit until you hit a spot where it kind of nose dies and that's kind of sort of where you know the happy price for your app is and do that over you know a period of months just to see where things go mm-hmm. yeah makes sense I remember going to a talk at uh, I think it was Mac what did in Macworld, I don't know. It was some mm. maybe it, maybe it wasn't Macworld, but but it was right around that same, probably around 2010, where they were giving exactly the same advice. Uh, yeah. And I think I tried it, and I think it didn't really work. <laughs> oh right, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, well, that sounds about right. Because I mean, you know, yeah. I saw I saw some talks, and like I said, I've, I've been going to iOS conferences since 2010, 2011. I remember seeing Andy Anako do a talk on app pricing and getting reviews from from the trades. Um, and uh, his advice was sort of the same sort of thing. Like you know, if you're if you're making a Photoshop style app, charge Photoshop style not Photoshop style pricing, but like you know, charge twenty thirty dollars for it and Mm-hmm. If you're making a little utility, charge a couple of bucks for it, kind of thing, right? And that was before, long before the race to the bottom. I think it was probably maybe when the race to the bottom was first starting up, right? So mm-hmm. around the time the iPad came out, right? Yeah, that was around 2010. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if you guys have taken a look at it yet, but uh, the Apple Apple launched the Apple TV app on on the iOS devices. So if you I'll put it on my iPad here, it looks very similar to the uh, Apple TV app that we have, and the Apple TV app also looks like it's updated as well could mention that um on the apple tv device itself but yeah the tv app or i'm doing apple sign tv app on your ipad or your ios device your your any or your iphone whatever i mean um but it, what's interesting there is is that it includes uh um other apps like in canada we have crave which is our equivalent of hbo uh cbs all access apparently is in there showtime stars epns EP, espn for sports and amazon prime video are all contained within this thing and if you choose a piece of content, which is this is where the seamless bit comes in. If you choose a piece of content uh, that you want to watch, and you just have to log into your account for that provider to be able, be able to to watch that show, right? So um, it seems like it's going to be like you know. I, th- I think we talked about this before that that uh, Apple you know, Apple wants to try and make it easy for everybody. I was going to hear a note about uh, Apple's uh, the costs are same similar, I guess. HBO is fourteen ninety nine American per month. Um, shows Showtime, for instance, is ten ninety nine. A month and, and what's interesting is and conspicuous is the fact that Netflix is not here. Netflix has said that they won't participate in this Apple TV product. So um, going to be interesting to see what what happens with Netflix in the future as all these other guys sort of bl- uh, jump on the bandwagon with Apple. Mm. What, what do you guys think? I wonder if this also means that the 
Apple TV app for Samsung TVs is available. I haven't tried. Yeah, this is yeah, this is true. I forgot about that. The smart TVs as well. That this, I'm yeah. not sure if it's all of them, but some select 2018 models. It says here, like they announced at the last uh, presentation. Yeah, well, the the 2018 models had one of the advanced features, but I my understanding was that just the plain old Apple TV app would avail, be available on all Samsung smart TVs. But I could be wrong about that. It says all 2019 smart TVs and and select 2018 models. Right, you're right. Mm. You're right. Yeah. Plus Vizio, LG, Sony as well. So you don't even need to have an, uh, an Apple TV device, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this uh, this autumn is when the Apple television state uh, streaming service starts along with Disney streaming service. So between Disney owning that and Hulu and Apple, I think Netflix is actually going to get a little bit of trouble. Yeah, we were just talking about on Spotcast about how Comcast and HBO have come to an agreement on... Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Comcast and Disney have come to an agreement on how to run uh, Hulu now that uh, they own most of it, right? So mm-hmm. I think Comcast owns 33% of it. Mm-hmm. And I know Disney owns uh, over 50, I think. Yeah, and they're bringing out uh, an NBC app. No, I think the, uh, HBO just bought a chunk of another chunk uh, the other day. Yeah. AT&T's interest, I think. And Comcast is still coming out with their own their own app as well, right? Because they, they own uh, NBC and Universal, right? Well, everybody on cable wanted a la carte. They got their a la carte. Yeah, yeah. You mean the people or the or the providers? Everybody, everybody always said they wanted cable so they could select what stations they wanted. They wanted their a la carte cable and streaming has definitely given us the choice of saying, I want this station and I want that station. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I still question whether we'll end up spending, spending more money than, than we had in the past just for straight cable. Um, what's interesting, though, is that um, um, just like a very notes from last night. Um, hell are they? Oh, yes. Um, Mark had mentioned, Mark Pribilis had mentioned that uh, we're living in a, I think he called it a rental economy these days where, you know, everything's sort of you you know you use HBO until Game of Thrones is over and then you cancel your account kind of thing right so we all want you know food delivered to our door by Uber Eats and you know all that kind of stuff we want that sort of we don't want to own it we just want to have it uh, for a short period of time right my entire budget is based on month to month costs now really what do you mean by that oh if you take a look if you take a look at just some of the programming on on streaming it's like you know I have all of these subscriptions Netflix and Hulu etc yeah, yeah. so everything everything budget wise is just yet another monthly line subscription. That's what I call death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> and it, yeah. it won't be too long actually until we have uh, cars will be using that model. I mean it already is starting with Uber and, and Lyft but uh, once we get to the point where all these cars are self-driving which which is not as far away as, as one might think uh, then I think that the services like like Uber and Lyft and others will, will start flooding the market and, and it just won't make sense to, to own your own car at that point. Yeah, in my It'll neighborhood, still- we have a lot of zip cars and car to go and there's a couple yeah. of other yeah. things where you, you basically borrow the use the car for two hours and then you take it back. And when I sold my car, that's what I started doing because they opened a zip car lot just around the corner from my house, right? Yeah, so- certainly in urban areas or, or densely populated suburbs. Yeah, if you talk about it, if you talk about San Francisco, there's no point in owning a car. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you have trans- transit all over the place as well, right? In San Francisco, yeah. <laughs> I mean, where I am. Yeah, as long as you don't want to leave San Francisco. Right. I'm in San Jose, so it's it's a little bit more of a car-oriented uh, city where I am. But still, you know, I, there's so many Ubers around, so many Lyfts around, and it's it's. I think there's going to be an inflection point at some point. People are just going to stop. I mean, I I may never buy another car. You know, I'm not I'm not going to get rid of the one I have for now, but at some point I will. And you know, then it's then it's a decision. Do I do I actually buy a new car or do I just use these ubiquitous uh, services to drive me around anywhere I want to go? Well, that's pretty much what I did when I was working independently. 
recently, you know, because I basically spent you know, 10, almost 13 years working out of my house. And I would just sit there and watch my little Honda Civic rust on the, on, on the sidewalk in front of my house, right? And uh, mm-hmm. eventually I sold, I sold it off to a friend of mine for his, his nephew. And uh, then I started using Uber. And I was using Uber, like I would I would get a cab, like a, you know, like a yellow cab, I guess, up here mm-hmm. um, and use them because I really wasn't into the big, you know, people driving me around. I wanted people who were sort of professionals at it. <laughs> um, and t- I mean, I canceled my Uber account a few years ago when they started being, you know, bad people, bad, you know, bad executives and stuff like that. But, um, mm-hmm. but I want to ask, actually, now that we're talking about Uber for a second, it's not really in our show notes, but um, so I think last week there was a big protest from the drivers uh, as Uber stock went public. Uh, that There was, um, yeah, the day of the IPO, mm-hmm. the drivers yeah. went on strike, uh, basically saying that they're paid uh, below minimum wage. And, right. Yeah, they're, they're not actually employees of Uber. They're, they're all independent contractors, which means right. that they, yeah. they don't get paid health insurance and they don't get paid an hourly wage. They just get paid uh, by, by trip. Yeah. So out of that, they have to pay all the maintenance of the vehicle. They have to pay for gas. They have to pay for their own health insurance and anything else, um, self-employment tax, all that kind of stuff. So it, I've who knows what the actual numbers are, but I, but I saw some calculations that were saying it comes out to be something like seven bucks an hour by the time it's all mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. Uh, which is you know way below minimum wage. Uh, and it, you know if you work for a company, even making minimum wage, they're still going to pay health insurance on top of that. So pay for your health insurance. So it's yeah, it's it's not a great deal for these drivers. Now you could argue, well, they don't have to do it. You know, they're free to do something else. But um, you know, it's a tough call. Um, and those demonstrations, those were for both Uber and Lyft, weren't they? Uh, possibly the Lyft drivers. Well, you know, pretty much these days, everyone who is an Uber driver is also a Lyft driver, as far as I can tell. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it was specifically on the day of the Uber IPO to yeah. certain, you know, but but it certainly could have been protesting Lyft as well at the same time. It just happened to be you know, the day of the Uber IPO to make most PR impact. Yeah, and I thought that Uber's uh, stock kind of hit a, a downturn, but I think that was probably also part of the, what's happening in the market too, right? Now, the IPO came out a lot more disappointing than, than Uber and its executives yeah. were hoping for. Way more so. But it certainly wasn't helped by the market tanking, for sure. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, another little piece that we've been talking about this, I think, I can't remember, was it uh, WWDC last year where Adobe did a demonstration of Photoshop on the iPad? You guys remember? I think it, I think it was last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, just a little silent, I don't know if it, how quiet it was, but I just found out about it online when I was poking around yesterday that uh, Adobe has uh, got a page up now where you can sign up uh, to try out the beta of iPad or Photoshop on for iPad. Um, and there's a link here on the show notes to that. So I'm looking forward to that, see if I get a chance to try it out. They, they ask you a few questions as to why you should be considered to be a, a user. You know, I, I basically told them I've been using Photoshop since 1.0 and <laughs> I use it all the time. You know, I started using Photoshop on my phone. Fo- there's a Photoshop app on my phone from Adobe that uh, you know, has layers and, and filters and things like that. It's pretty, pretty in some ways advanced, but some ways, like you can do, you know, cropping and stuff like that, close cutting and what we used to call close cutting to cut out an image and pop it into another one and do a composition. I did a quick composition with a Starbucks cup. You can imagine why last week. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, Photoshop on a 12.9-inch iPad with a, with pencil could be pretty compelling. Pretty sweet, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've got the the, the other designer, uh, Affinity Designer and Affinity Photo. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing too is I think it's sort of a learning curve. I think that's supposed to be closer to what we do on the Mac in terms of how we use it. So mm-hmm. that should be interesting. I think I think we're getting fonts in, uh, ability to add fonts in the next iOS 13 as well, which will help. 
you know, with that for layout and design and things. I wonder how the Photoshop for iPad will figure into the CC Photoshop world, well, whether or not it's going to be its own standalone application or whether or not you'll be able to get it for free and authorize it with uh, with Adobe CC. Yeah, see, that's the thing is I know a lot of people like myself, I don't use the Adobe suite enough to warrant my uh, having a subscription for it, which I think is around $40 Canadian for the full suite. It's like $20, I think, uh, a month for Photoshop alone. And again, I don't use it that much. I use it maybe once a week or so. Um, I'm thinking that it'll be definitely part of the Creative Cloud. Currently, all of the apps that they have on iOS are free, um, but they have um, they have they sync in with the CC products. Like I can I can do a layout in Photoshop on on my device, my iOS device, and then send it to Photoshop on my Mac, right? Uh, in theory, because but because I don't have Adobe CC, um, I'm still using um, I forget which one it is, uh, but an older version. Um, I don't I don't have that ability, but I can. I found that I can. There's this product called Adobe Creative Cloud, which is like a, a almost I don't know if it's like a how much space you get, but it's it's a place where you can do your designs, upload them to the cloud, and then pull them down to your Mac and, and finish them up as well. But you can only pull them out as JPEGs or PNGs. You can't use them as Photoshop layered files, right? So. Yeah, Creative Cloud is just sort of another Dropbox, yeah. OneDrive, yeah, yeah. iCloud thing. Yeah, but it's free. So, I mean, you know, I, don't, I currently don't have a subscription to, to the Photoshop product. So, again, like, I, you know... If I was still in the, the self-running business and doing, you know, web design and iOS design and that kind of stuff, it would I could see myself having that. And that's another reason why I don't have a Sketch subscription because I just don't have, I can't justify the payment. You know, I'd rather watch uh, Brave and HBO and Apple Music than, than that, right? So, yeah, it's not part of my daily daily activities. So, but I mean, I could see, I could see, I definitely think that this Photoshop or iPad will become part of Creative Suite. I can't see it being free. Um, I, I would like it if it was a standalone app, but I'm, I have a feeling it's going to be a subscription model app and we'll talk about that a little bit later too as well so so that's that so under our wtfu's wtfu section this week um whatsapp i don't know if you guys have heard about whatsapp um was targeted by a surveillance attack uh fairly recently have you heard about this one you did hear yes no i did not oh, okay not so so uh again it was another one of these ones where um uh, somebody could call your whatsapp account and start um listening in to you without actually without you actually having uh, answered the call um, and it kind of went out to a ton of devices out there and uh, you know, so whatsapp was was frantically trying to tell people to uh, upgrade their devices uh, as of last weekend I think um, yeah they were urging 1.5 billion users to update their apps as a precaution so whatsapp's quite popular in in Asia as far as I know I, I think it's pretty well you know how they communicate down there right so out there mm-hmm. yeah so another another great uh, oops whoops moment from the folks at Facebook. Right. I'll link in the show notes for those who want to follow up on it. All right. So I guess over to you, Drew. So so this one's a little bit tricky story because I got it from CNN. You have to actually follow. The Supreme Court is allowing iPhone users to sue over the App Store monopoly. Yeah, yeah. And this does not say that anybody is suing Apple over the monopoly. What happened is that the, I think it was the Ninth Circuit Court, the federal court said, we think they should be allowed to sue. Hmm. And then it went to the Supreme Court to try to throw that case out. And the case of the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to throw it out. So that's standing. So as of yet, there is no lawsuit and anything that would be a suit would still have to be examined for why they're suing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was an article in Toronto Star today about this, about the, th- the, the 30% that Apple takes, right? Mm-hmm. And that you know, apparently developers are complaining about the fact that they call it the Apple tax. I don't know if it's uh, mentioned in this article you've got linked here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and you know, just because people are complaining and and just because they sue doesn't mean they'll actually win. Uh, right. So so the sky has not fallen yet, uh, it, but but it could. The the Apple tax concern for the end user is the concern that that thirty percent that Apple is charging is being couched into the price of the app and then being passed on to the end user, which is going to be hard to prove to begin with. Begin with. Yeah, I mean, like I think that we just talked about the race to the bottom. I mean, prices have been diving for a long time. And I mean, Apple claims that the, they get 100,000 weekly submissions for apps. So they have to have a team of people to approve those apps and check them and vet them. And um, I think we've talked about why Apple charges 30% in the past. And, and they have dropped it to 15% on, on uh, year-over-year subscriptions, I believe, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Apple claims that they're not the monopoly that the developers get to set the price. And Apple's just taking 30% to cover costs. I mean, that was what Steve Jobs got up on the stage, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, and said, you know, and we're, you know, we're it, it, from our perspective, it sounded like, hey, this is a great opportunity to, to make a small income. Um, you know, I mean, some people are able to buy helicopters, but not all of us, right? A very small percentage of us are actually making huge dollars off the app store selling yeah, apps, right? right? It seems to me, and, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but, but it seems to me if people are suing over the monopoly aspect, then if they win, it's got nothing to do with the 30%. It means that Apple can no longer force you to only download apps through their own app store. It means they have to open true. up phones to other other app stores. Now, the other app stores could charge less than 30%, sure. Uh, but but it, it wouldn't force Apple to cut out the 30%. It means that you know anyone and their uncle could have an app store and load apps onto your phone, which which would be a big mess, a big disaster. I mean, we'll, we'll malware left and right. Yeah, they compared Google Play to this um, in the Toronto Star article about the fact that, you know, yeah, Google, Google does allow people to put apps on the app store, uh, but they also allow people to buy apps from, you know, individual software sellers, right? Like, I guess you could build your own little store. Yeah. yeah and we know that, I mean, I mean, notwithstanding Google, uh, Android's success, I mean, it is pretty su- successful outside of North America, but um, it does it does have issues. We've had viruses and, and exploits and all kinds of stuff on, on that environment as well, right? Yeah, and certain apps don't work on certain phones and don't right, work yeah. on various versions or whatever. And, and No, I mean, and, and concepts like BitCode where you're actually compressing down your app into the individual version so that your app isn't downloading every version or every iPhone's technical needs. That's uh, they, they can streamline those features to go end to end. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll have to see how this plays out. It's kind, yeah. of a, kind of an odd one, especially, you know, in light of where, where apps are going in terms of how they're being sold, you know, mm-hmm. more and more service-based stuff. All right, what's next, Drew? So about a year ago, Apple introduced what they referred to as their pride face. It was basically a six rainbow strings that you could use as a face on your Apple Watch. And this year they are introducing two new ones, or actually three new ones, mm-hmm. uh, with iOS, with, excuse me, watch OS 5.2.1, though uh, you will need to make sure that your iOS is updated 12.3 to see it. Mm-hmm. Though, interestingly enough, I tried to load it myself and it won't load for me. I may just be because I'm in Canada this week, which always <laughs> seems to be the excuse of why something doesn't work. But the new faces, uh, a lot of people have complained that they're a little on the busy side. Very yeah. 1970s, uh, lots of color, lots of very thin lines and concentric circles. Um, when I see them on the actual watch, I'll have a better opinion on them. Uh, they look nifty and such, but other than that, uh, the new uh, the new faces are there. If you have 521 and 123, you should be able to see them in your watch app. Cool. 
And last year they had uh, rainbow straps as well, or bands as well, right? Yeah, those came out at about the time of WWDC, so mm. hoping that those will come out as well. Well, last year they also had uh, um, faces for each country, right? Didn't they? Um, I don't remember about watch faces for each country. Mm, well, we, I think they had, yeah, they had bands, I think. Or maybe not watch faces, right? Yeah, yeah. When is when is gay pride sort of stuff happen in the States? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm being a very bad ally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you have another story here about Apple. Uh, finally, with the tariffs that are going on between China and the U.S., there's been a lot of concern that what the current tariffs would touch would be Apple's chargers and cases. Mm. Um, now, at this point, the first set of tariffs, which raised it to about, I believe, 10 or 15 percent, Apple absorbed those costs and they didn't show up on the price tags. Right. Uh, and it remains to be seen whether or not that, that Apple will try to swallow those costs again. Mm-hmm. But at this point, there are additional tariffs coming. They should be affecting those chargers, those uh, you know, the power blocks, the uh, the uh, USB uh, blocks, and the uh, and the phone cases. So we'll have to see in the short run. But that in itself is also hit some of Apple's uh, stock prices. So why is that? Is that because of the devices or like or was the technology yeah, I think, goes I in? I think the market is concerned that it's not going to just be limited to accessories and cases. That it's actually going to hit the actual iPhones and MacBooks yeah. and all that, which are all assembled in China. Uh, and even though maybe this round of tariffs doesn't affect those, uh, if things escalate, then the next round easily could. And I mean, just imagine a you know, 25% surcharge on every iPhone sold. That's going right. to hurt a lot. Right. Of course, at the same time, Apple hasn't really been commenting about what they've been moving in and out of China. I know that Apple's been moving a lot of stuff as best they can out of the, yeah. out of the country. So Apple may very quietly say, oh, well, it didn't affect us because we're not manufacturing those things in Taiwan or something. So let me, yeah, so let me ask a question. I heard I heard something a comment by somebody on a news show a couple of weeks last week or two weeks ago that ter- the, these type of tariffs are kind of silly in a sense because they don't affect China. They affect the people buying the products from China. In other words, Americans. That's correct. They only indirectly affect China because it in because the the uh, well, it's technically it's the it's the company. Uh, so Apple would 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 pay the tariff when they want to import this device sure, and then yeah. presumably they'll pass that cost on to the user in theory they could absorb it but that will really hurt their bottom line so probably they'd pass the price on to the user so in effect the number of units sold is going to go way down so that will reduce the amount of trade with china so it only indirectly affects china uh, china does not pay the tariffs yeah it seems it seems kind of ridiculous once i heard it, that the tariffs go in both, the tariffs go in both directions as one country introduces one set of tariffs, the other country introduces a set of tariffs. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And and if that affects people, they'll less product is bought, so less profit for China on the prop on the products that would be bought from them. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of get the kind of get the impression they could go. So what? I mean, like, isn't more mind you? I guess they have more people in China, so they would have more interested in importing products, right? Well, no. It's, uh, the the trade imbalances they export way more to the U.S. than we export to China. Right. So okay. if if the amount that we import goes down, that affects their economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the concern. So if if that's ma- uh, massively impacted, then you know they're they're losing a lot of money because they don't they can't sell to us. Right. Now you mentioned earlier that this affects the stock price as well, or like Apple and places like well, that, just the market in general. So Apple's stock price dropped from you know around two hundred and ten before the announcement 
to it, it bottomed out around 183. That's pretty big. It's back up today to about 190, but uh, but it was a pretty big drop. You know, almost a thirty dollar drop in the share price from 210. That's you know that's like a one seventh. Uh, and the reason is that one of two things will will it, it, assuming this continues, one of two things will happen. Either uh, Apple will have to absorb the cost of the tariff and that comes off their profit, uh, or they'll have to pass the cost on to the to the consumer, us, which could affect the number of products affect, that they sell. Exactly. Yeah. So so overall, either either way, Apple's profits are going to go down. So so the stock market sees that and says, oh, you know, if the profits are going down. Uh, they're suddenly a, a less attractive company as an investment, so the stock price goes down. Even though they're the biggest company in the world currently. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you know. It's, but it's but it's been at least five minutes since everybody's been screaming that Apple is dying and doomed. Right. That's right. right. That's true. Well, I mean, it is true that that the stock market tends to overreact, but but in this case, it's actually based on something real. I mean, this if this continues, it will impact Apple for sure. Uh, so you know, let's just hope that this gets resolved quicker, quicker than later, sooner than later. Yeah. I have my doubts on that. Yeah. Right. So, um, my story here is, is, I don't know if you guys you want to take a quick look at this one, but, uh, uh, I think there's been rumors about Apple coming out with a new type of Mac pro. Um, and this one's interesting because there's some, uh, and it's speculation as to whether it's a, a legit, uh, story or not, mm-hmm. but, uh, it shows, you know, a, a square based, um, design as opposed to the, the, uh, trash can device design we have now. Right. The mini cat. Let's be positive. <laughs> mini cake. That's true. Okay. <laughs> mini cake. <laughs> mini cake. I don't know. I always thought it was, thought it was a trash can. Yeah. Uh, all right. So mini cake. Uh, so anyway, this is more like a mini cheese grater, I guess. Is kind of how it looks to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bring back the apple cube. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. Yeah. It's not quite square, but yeah. I guess. I, well, how, how tall is it? Seventeen. Can you read the numbers on this blurry picture? No, they, it's a very blurry picture. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it says it actually says it in the article. Oh. The supposed design is for a relatively square Mac Pro measuring 7.7 inches wide, 11.55 inches tall, and 11.55 inches long with rounded vertical edges. Right. Hmm. There you go. Well, this this would be pretty awesome. I mean, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, they usually don't announce hardware at, at WWDC, so it would be sort of a unusual thing. But maybe you know they've <laughs> they've decided they've people have been waiting long enough and they want to. Well, that's why this article is sort of implying that it's fake. I mean, you know, yeah. it claims to have an Intel Cascade Lake. X processor, mm-hmm. an Apple T2 security chip, which I think is the same as in what's in the f- new phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple II, X2 accelerator, DDR5, which I think uh, some, yeah, it says here uh, first commercial releases haven't occurred yet, so they're throwing, cat, throwing shade at that one. Um, yeah. So I'm, And I think the biggest problem that people have had with the current Mac Pros is that you can't put in a bigger drive. You can't put multiple drives in right. like you could in previous models, right? Right. Um, and they haven't upgraded it in 10 years. Yeah. Not ten years, five years at least. But I think the, uh, the the biggest issue with this is the fact that they've got this all laid out in a nice diagram for something that's not released yet. That seems like that's a, a bit crazy for a leak. That's the kind of stuff that would be under lock key mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. Apple's concerned. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the document says last modified seven November twenty eighteen. So mm. that too. Code name Phoenix, the Mac Pro seven dot one. Who knows? 
rises from the ashes of the little metal ash tree. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, let's see. have to see. It's the first time I'd seen the rumor about the uh, the anticipated Mac Pro, but as I said before, a lot of shade been thrown at us whether or not this is fake news or not. Mm-hmm. We've just reported on it, so it's news. Whether it's fake or not is remains, remains to be seen. All right. Well, I guess we're at the picks section of our show, so do you have a pick? Well, one of the things is that Apple, which has been teaching different classes to users about how to use the hardware, things like Final Cut Pro or how to use pages or the like, they've decided to branch into our world, and now they're going to be doing a podcasting class uh, as one of their courses. Yeah, interesting idea. I don't know if you've been in an app store recently. I spent like a weekend there a couple of weekends ago. And um, they had a in the middle of the store. They had a large, you know, TV, and they had a person there with a microphone on his head, mm-hmm. and he was talking to a table full of people. And it just seemed like a really hard place to, like, you know, considering the noise and the number of people in the store, it seemed to be like a very bad environment for not conducive to teaching anybody anything. And this guy was trying to teach, you know, a Final Cut Pro or something, right? It just seemed odd to me. But I, I know, like in the San Francisco store, that they, I think they closed down that store, or they're actually the one that's up in Union Square now has different levels. So I guess they could go to a quieter level to to do a course like this. Mm. I don't know. What do you think about, like, I think I mentioned that our Eaton Sentence store is a little smaller than the Palo Alto store, but it's the same kind of layout where it's one big giant floor. We have a flagship store in Pittsburgh, and uh, it's not a very large store. And I've actually attended one of the classes. I think it was a, a Final Cut Pro or, or similar type class. Uh, I sent my 12-year-old in to do it. And it was pretty much just gathered around one of the tables. There was a monitor, and he had the microphone on his he had the head microphone, but it was really uh, meant to be a class of no more than five to six people who could all cluster around the table and work together. Right, right. Admittedly, I think there was only one or two people in the class that day. So um, they're planning on using GarageBand for the podcast oh, yeah. class. Yeah. It, it almost, I'm reading the description. It almost looks like it's more of a class on GarageBand, uh, and they're just <laughs> saying the podcast part of it maybe to get people interested. I'll, I'll read the description. It says, have an idea for a podcast? Get started using GarageBand on your phone. In this 30-minute session, you'll learn how to record and edit your voice, add royalty-free music and audio loops, and practice your new skills by creating an intro trailer that you can share with the world. Get hands-on with the latest iPhone in this session or bring your own. Right. right. So it, it, it kind of sounds like it's a, you know, introduction to GarageBand. A lot of their classes have been plugging their own software. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, Logic Pro is is very similar to GarageBand. I wonder if it's made by the same developers because, you like, a lot of the stuff that I looked at originally talked about starting off in GarageBand and moving over to Logic Pro, and the interfaces are very similar, so I can uh-huh. see that how, how that becomes, you know, the, the big boy toy once you get yeah. experience on it, right? I can say for sure it is the same team within Apple that develops both. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, good to uh-huh. know. Yeah. We won't ask any more than that. Don't ask me any more than that. Alright, so, uh, yeah, um, what's this next story about Adobe? Well, you were mentioning that you're using an older version. I am. It turns out that uh, Adobe is now warning users to not use specific older versions of their app because they may get sued for using an old app that is no longer supported by Adobe. Adobe might get sued or the users would, might get sued? The user might get sued, and not by Adobe, but by a third company. Huh. The general belief from the article is that there was licensed software by Dolby oh, okay. back when Adobe mm-hmm. was selling it as a per-CD application. Right. Once they went to the Creative Cloud subscription method, they wouldn't let Dolby audit, and Dolby said, well, that's it. Anybody who uses those versions, we no longer support, and we can sue them for using software we no longer allow you to use. Really? Wow. That's crazy. So Adobe is basically being nice 
to their users and saying, hi, you may not want to use our old versions because Dolby may get angry at you. Huh, that's a kick in the pants. Now, if, if Dolby were smart, they would have a program where you could buy just for some nominal fee, uh, you can buy a license and then you can continue using the software and, you know, Dolby gets paid. But the problem is that, you know, Dolby only licenses, yeah, I guess you, you'd be buying the license of the Dolby components inside your Adobe right. package. Exactly, exactly. Well, so, but I'm pretty sure I already bought a license for this software. You bought it. You bought the license from Adobe, right? Who paid Adobe? Right, but they probably. Well, it was probably it, presumably it was time based. You know, they, they you bought the rights for a certain amount of time, and it may also okay. be it may also be the subscription versions that did not necessarily hmm. have those rights. Because there's been how many how many iterations of some of these software under uh, the Creative Cloud now? Has it been five? Well, yeah. Let me see what what mine is. Mine's Creative Suite Six, right? So yeah, it's a different different name. Well, I wonder though. So I think when I thought when you bought the Creative Cloud, you had to be using, you had to be signed in and, and a you know card carrying member of the program to be able to continue using the software. I, I may not be. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't know if you could use this stuff if you cancel your subscription, right? It's Adobe has re- the the line from them is Adobe recently discontinued certain older versions of Creative Cloud applications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Customers using those versions have been notified that they are no longer licensed to use them and were provided guidance on how to upgrade to the latest authorized version. Right, right. So, Tim, if you're using an old version that predates Creative Cloud that you yeah. bought outright, yeah. then maybe you're okay. Yeah, that should be fine. It's the Creative Cloud version. Yeah, I have a couple of friends who, who sell Creative Cloud. I can probably ask them if they've gotten any explanation about this. But I, like I said, I wasn't aware that you could I wasn't aware that you could have um, cre- use Creative Cloud without an active subscription. Hmm. Right, which is how I thought it was. Mind you, that's that's said. With, I think I have. But with Creative Cloud, I have a Creative Cloud uh, subscription. Uh, with Creative Cloud, you can actually say, "Well, I don't want to use the current version. I want to use a previous version." Oh, really? But okay, the, okay. The, num- huh. the numbers that you have, you don't necessarily have to update. Oh, so maybe this maybe this is sort of a tempest in a teapot, right? It's this is for people who have chosen to not update to the latest version of Creative Cloud, but still have an active subscription. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. I guess, yeah, I guess there's no way to, no mechanism for disabling the app once it's on your machine and you're off on a desert island with no internet access, right? I mean, part of it. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the article from uh, Apple Insider talks about the, the, the disagreement that occurs between Adobe and Dolby, which is confusing to say the least, and it's not quite entirely clear on what went wrong. Mark, do you have a pick this week? I don't. I have a, pick. My, so I have a couple pick, of picks. My picks w- don't have a long commute. <laughs> well, <laughs> my pick is and you've yeah you've solved that um my pick is uh is uh it's kind of it's it's in favor of mark right because i know you're all you were always lamenting the fact that we never got the air power um so uh, my next door neighbor at the office uh eric bought a hub basically called nobad base station wireless charger hub in leather mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. it's a 10 watt wireless charger he's got the the reason he bought it is he's got the um the new air bu- earbuds uh, in the wireless charging case right and he's got a iPhone 10 or 10s, I believe, and uh, yeah, so um, it's, it's basically wide enough to have charge two devices at the same time. Um, there's a picture of it here on Twitter, but it, we also it also has a USB out and USB C out. So he plugged his MacBook Pro into it. The MacBook the USB C outputs 18 watts, so hmm. better than the Air Power. You can charge two devices using the wireless charging, and you can charge your Mac Pro with this device as well. Huh, Pretty cool. Bad. Who makes this? Uh, it's made by Nomad. Nomad. There's a link. There's a link to 
Amazon Canada page, but you can you can probably find it on the uh, on Amazon.com or UK if you're in the UK listening, mm-hmm. driving at home. All right. So the next, my next pick is is, uh, and I mentioned a little bit about it before, was Mark Pavlidis gave a talk at our TACO, or which is our Toronto area Cocoa Heads and Web Objects users. Uh, so long, the, it's the oldest and largest Mac OS slash iOS user Mac meetup group in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, out so of he how, did, out of how many? Uh, I don't know, lots. <laughs> Okay. But it's the oldest. That's all that matters. <laughs> all like, right. the, like like TACO, T-A-C-O-W is actually a lot. If you take the O and the W and transpose them, it's web objects. That's how how long it's been around. Mm. A lot of Mac Mac developers uh, in this group, and uh, and uh, they were all they were telling us the other day. At, at, you know, they had the beers afterwards. We were talking about uh, how some of them had first heard about the you know the iOS or iPhone SDK, and you know jumped on board with that, and now they're happily making iOS apps. Uh, anyway, Mark probably just gave a talk on uh, subscriptions. I'm just going to re- go back, switch over to my notes here. Um, it was called App Store App Store Subscriptions Condensed Edition, and he basically gave a bit of advice on. On, you know uh, why you would choose a subscription model. Um, who is he, and why should he know? He's actually the CTO of Flixel, uh, a company that uh, does um, cinemagraphs on your iPhone. And uh, there's different; they have different tiers of. You can use it for free with watermarked uh, work, or you can pay like a hobbyist version, or you can use a professional version as well. And then plus, they also have web services for storing. So there's they have different levels of, of subscriptions that you can get. Um, and he also he went through what you need to know to get started started and how to avoid from some pain points and then you know where are we having beers is the last part of his slide his agenda um but what was interesting for me was uh, right at the top when he talked about some some facts about the uh, about subscriptions versus you know just regular old uh, uh what do you call it um paid apps right um it's the fastest growing section on the fastest growing type of app on the app store is subscriptions that uh you know 80 percent of the apps on the app store now are free uh which is a little bit up from 67 percent in 20, 2014 I don't know where he got these numbers from. I didn't. I forgot to ask him. But uh, um, last year, they, in 2017, sorry, they generated 10 billion dollars worth of business, and they, it's estimated to go to a 75 billion dollar business in 2022. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, he said it was good from from a, as a business model. It's good because you know it, it allows you to build customer base over a longer period of time, as opposed to just all at once kind of thing. And you know, offer you know uh, trials, offer uh, have an upgrade path for your your, your subscribers. It also, through the mechanism, allows you to monitor um, people and offer them a promo- like there's a promoted subscription uh, on the App Store now. Uh, and actually, it's interesting when you add a promoted subscription to your your uh, app page, you kind of op- occupy the entire page of in on the phone. So you tend to bump the other apps out of the way that are trying to compete for your space. Um, you can build me- meaningful relationships with your clients because now they're buying a product that they you know you're able to support them and build. Up things and and have different tiers in terms of whether they can you know can have like the all in plan or the you know just the hobbyist plan as I said before different kinds of levels. Um, he also gets some advice on on transitioning a paid app to subscriptions. Apple's already thought about this and they've they've put in a, a uh, uh, an identifier which looks at on the iOS 
it looks at the build number of your app. And you can say anybody who's got this build number or lower, just treat them as if they bought the app. And anybody above this, put them into the subscription plan. So, so they've already built in a mechanism, but you don't have to try and guess, you know, did this guy, had this guy paid for it before? And is this a new user using a subscription and that kind of stuff? So uh, really interesting, uh, really interesting talk from that point of view. Like I, I've been, you know, thinking about changing some of my apps over to, to uh, subscription apps as well. And uh, this sort of gives a really good, clear way of doing it um, with some sort of hints and things about uh, some of the pitfalls. I'm not going to go into those today, but um, some of the things that uh, you might run into in terms of challenges and surprises. Like I, I mentioned, that the, on iOS, they use the build number. On Mac OS, they use the, the version number, the App Store version number to identify which uh, build uh, or which version of the app the uh, user is using. And also, you mentioned something about canceling apps that uh, that um, they don't actually expire immediately as soon as somebody cancels. They, they kind of have a 60-day period where they can cancel, which gives you an opportunity to go back and, and offer incentives to those those people who canceled um, to let them come back to your, to your app. So do they ever record these talks? And put they do. Up? In fact, they did record this one. And uh, so uh, if if it comes, if it gets published, it should be soon-ish, I would think. Anyway, there was a camera running during the talk, so mm-hmm. I believe that uh, I believe that this one will be, will be recorded. I've got the slide deck here, and I've asked Mark if he can put it somewhere um, so that I can link it for the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, the one thing he kind of joked about a few times was was he had talked about having this uh, conspicuous disclaimer. Uh, there's a lot of times uh, when you're trying to get your app uh, approved through Apple, uh, you want to make sure that you're always advising the client, you know, that that uh, who's buying your app that you know there's this, you know, I don't have the verbiage of disclaimer in front of me. Actually, maybe I do. But what's interesting though is if you look at the chart that I pasted into the show notes, you can see that you know they kind of muddled along um, and then they had their big launch and so they got they made it you know a good income at launch. This is typical of an app uh, that's on the App Store. It kind of shoots up real quick. And then a little while later, they won an, an Apple Design Award in 2014. I was at WWDC when they won that. So that sort of made a spike in their sales. And then, you know, Peter running along for a little, little while. Then they kicked up again when they got a feature on the App Store, right? Mm-hmm. The red line there on the screen is when they switched over to subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So there's no and, absolute scale on here, but for sure, it, for sure things increased. Yeah. And you can see that, yeah, you can see that they're slowly bubbling up along over time um, as they, as they, and he, they played around with different models. I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, they, they kind of went into, into subscriptions early. He also said that Apple's lifted some of the restrictions on how you could do subscriptions in your apps to make it easier and, and some mechanisms to make it uh, run better. But um, yeah, and he also talked, he also mentioned uh, as a side note that, well, not quite a side note, but if you run a server that manages your, your subscriptions, because part of the whole thing, you know, the SK Store Kit, there's the receipt thing that records, you know, uh, when it was when it was last bought and all that kind of stuff, right? You also went through the whole approval process where you, you submit your subscription, it gets reviewed by Apple, gets approved, you know, or not, right? A um, couple of tricks on how to how to launch your app. The, the subscriptions could take up to 48 hours for them to appear on the store. So uh, even though you might have eager customers on day one, they on your day one of launch, you might have to wait a couple of days. So uh, his little ch- trick for that was find a small company, so there, find a small country, launch it there, let it, you know, run for 48 hours till your subscriptions show up and then, you know, launch them worldwide kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, so it was, it was a really good talk. Really enjoyed it. Well, so. Hopefully it'll get posted online so we can all... Very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So so I actually have kind of an inverted pick in some sense this week. Uh, I'm going to ask the users out there to do something for me. Uh, if anyone out there has any hands-on experience with the new Power Beats Pro headphones, uh, let us know what you think. Post on Ask him 
MTGJC or, or post on the website and just give us your thoughts. Uh, I'm very curious because I'm considering buying a pair because, you know, I've, as I've mentioned many times in the show, I, I can't wear AirPods. They just don't fit in my ears. So these seem pretty cool. Um, but I want to hear what some people think about it first. So if you've, if you've got a pair and you've played with them and listened to them and like them, hate them, neutral, uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. Right. I, I did see some tweets actually on people talking about wearing them last week, but I, I didn't think mm-hmm. the link you send you a link to them, but just, you know, twi- Twitter, Twitter uh, comments. Mm-hmm. Sadly, I only can offer an inverse, inverse response because I'm wearing the AirPods. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> now your, your headphone of choice for uh, podcasting? No, my headphone of choice for podcasting along with my microphone of choice of podcasting are down in Pittsburgh. I was oh, right. short notice this week. Oh, okay. So I uh, I grabbed what I had on me and 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 uh, and gave it the old college try. Oh, so you're on the fine fine Apple AirPods right now? I am. So if my audio sounds a little different than it normally would, that's because I I normally use the Rode Podcaster and I use a a pair of MPOW uh, the MPOWs uh, for headphones. They're wireless and I like them because they actually have a, a an EQ in them, so you can adjust them to your own hearing. Really, you don't find that there's a lag with them? No, I actually. Uh, well, I, I do find there's a, a little bit of a lag, but then again, when I do my podcast recording, I don't listen to myself. I only listen to the audio from the, uh, uh, okay, from yeah, the other yeah. people talking. So I'm monitoring through my headphones. Yeah, if I monitor through my own headphones, if I listen to my own voice, it throws me. So <laughs> I just listen to everybody else. Well, I'll do it for five years to get used to it. I actually have a, I use a, an analog um, board beside my computer here, so I hear you guys um, at the same level that I hear myself. So I always found it hard to talk in in, in a microphone if I can't hear myself t- talking. I haven't owned an analog board in probably close to twenty five years. Yeah, I, I just bought it from uh, Amazon for like a hundred bucks, and uh, I, had to, I had to do some some monkeying around with the with the jacks to get it to work. I'm using an old iMic uh, digital analog converter on on like which plugs into USB port and has an in and out from you know Griffin iMic. I don't even think you can buy them anymore. And then I've just got you know a couple of phone jack uh, cables running in stereo, and mm-hmm. I'm recording in mono myself. But uh, and then I can mix it here on the board and if i want to do some you know uh instagram or youtube guitar playing i can plug my guitar into one of the channels and then i can hear myself sing and play my guitar and all that kind of stuff plus it's similar to the rig i use for for actual performing as well and it has usb on it but i i prefer the i prefer to use the imac i find it better it's my setup <laughs> much more than co- way more than code podcast yeah you have an i rig don't you for your guitar uh i do i don't really use it that much yeah i don't use mine either that much that's what i was going to ask you if you ever use it anymore no, it's sitting over there on the table. I don't use it much. Yeah. But I don't, I don't play the electric very often. I usually play the acoustic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which has a jack, and I just run it through the run it through the, the board. Like, I've got a microphone. I've got a guitar uh, board here on the end of my microphone stand that I just mm-hmm. plug in when I want to do some performing. I thought about, you know, doing some garage bandy kind of stuff on my on my own as well, mm-hmm. now that I've got the bass and the guitars. My guitar setup is so much easier. I don't have guitars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you play air guitar, right? <laughs> of course. That's what Hotel California is for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just watch people on YouTube and go, okay, I can't do that. <laughs> All righty. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, if uh, people want to get in touch with you, Mark, how do they do that? Mark R at smapsoft.com. Hey, Drew, if people want to get in touch with you? Drew, D-R-U, DrewFreeman.com on the web or podcast Drew on Twitter. So, so until next week, we'll say bye-bye. 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 You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. 
We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, so three weeks till uh, WWCA. Mm-hmm. Two and a half weeks, yeah. So what have you decided? Are you going to AltConf? Are you going to be down there for the Raymond like stuff, right? Yeah, I have to be down there for for uh, for doing the, the live cast. I have to... Uh, I, I'm going to be a little crazy. I haven't actually started planning on any of the other stuff yet. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to go see uh, James Dempsey's show. I don't know if his tickets are sold out yet. Yeah. Well, I'm, I may be performing and I have a ticket, so if I get one for free for performing, then you can have my ticket. Oh, thank you very kindly. That's yeah. If that works out. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple. Of, it's funny the the apps. I was trying to find the the party apps and stuff like that. And so there's an app called Parties, I believe. There's not very much stuff being posted yet. Yeah, there's an app called Parties for WWDC, I believe. And there's another one I heard about yesterday. I found out about yesterday called Comp Friends. And there's some uh, events being listed in there. And of course, uh, James Dempsey's uh, li- yeah. listed on uh, on his own thing, right? There's Night of Dim Sum. I don't know if you're into Dim Sum. Yeah, I saw that. I, I'm into it. I'm just not into spending five hundred. Uh, 150 bucks. Is that what it was? Something like that. 150 bucks for dim sum. That's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, I'll wait, take you guys that's, to dim Dave, sum that's for... with Dave DeLong, though. Hey, come on. I'll Dave take you guys to dim sum for 30 bucks. <laughs> there it is. Conference for WW. Yeah, the, uh, the there's two nights of dim sum. One is one is on June 3rd, and the other is on June 6th, and that's for uh, that's with Did Dave they say, DeLong. Oh, they say where it's go, where Andrew they're going. Reads. No, you know who Dave DeLong is, right, Mark? No, he's the guy behind. Uh, is that Apple? And man, what was he behind? Core Core ML, maybe? Uh, Do you remember Drew? Oh God, no, I don't remember. So is he actually making the dim sum? <laughs> is that why it's so expensive? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, he was on. Uh, he was right. one of the guys that introduced uh, this stuff back in at uh, WWDC in one of the one of the thingies. Jaime would know who he was right off the bat. Hmm. Where are you going to need you, Jaime? Not here. <sighs> I could probably ping him, and he probably would know. Gregio will know. He will, yeah. he's already he's already uh, posting something. Yeah, even yeah. though he hasn't already published yet, he's posting <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's ask on the uh, on the app here. What did Dave DeLong? You typing over on Slack? Mm-hmm. Oh, you can see me typing. It's just Timothy is typing. Well, this this will get uh, my man Greg. Uh, it's like uh, you know MTJC assemble. <laughs> oh, it's a Din Tai Fung. Okay, what Din Tai Fung is the name of the restaurant? You found it? Yeah. How'd you find it? I did oh, a Din Tai Fung. I Googled WWDC dim sum mm. and it came up with the event. Very party. clever. Came up with the in, the Eventbrite invitation. I never thought about WWDC parties. Let's try that. There's an app, there's a Twitter account called WWDC party. Well, oh, I said that, yeah, it's from the party app, which I already have. Best events to end to attend. Hmm. Yeah, I got to publish your uh, getting around uh, San Jose that you put, that we put out last year, Mark. Oh, yeah. I'll republish that that episode mm-hmm. as a best of. There's like three different podcasts going on podcast parties. Which ones? I got I've got accidental track podcast and Relay FM. Oh, is another one on there? Wednesday. Oh, and there's a uh, automators meetup as well, right? And lots of runs. Oops. Lots of runs. And I just got a warning from my AirPods.
that they are times up. They're 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 getting tired. Yeah, I scheduled uh, a meetup for MTJC people. Just uh, I haven't decided where we're going to do it yet. Um, for June fifth at uh, five p.m. Cool. So yeah, remember we did one last year where people got to meet Greg and and Mark. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you were around that week. Or you're you're working that week, right? Me? Yeah. Yes. So five p.m. is probably too early for me. Um, but depends how late it goes. Right. Right. Yep. All right. Well, yeah. We'll just. Uh, right, I'm gonna stop my. I'm gonna stop my record. All right. We'll uh, talk to you guys later.